The podcast you are listening to is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. It takes a trained eye, a keen mind, and a bold but delicate hand to master the sensitivities of fine art. Welcome to In Trouble Again, a Star Wars droids podcast, the podcast where we look at every episode of the 1985 animated Star Wars oddity, Droids, The Adventures of R2-D2 and C-3PO. I am your host, uh, William T. Thrasher, and with me is my counterpart, Matt Shergi. How you doing, Matt? Oh, good. How are you doing? I am doing pretty well. Got got uh, got high energy. I'm just building up a lot of energy uh, for this summer, which uh, which will, will cause me to, to burn brightly, if only briefly. <laughs> A lot of deadlines, I take it. Yeah, oh, and I've got... It, this would be a tangent we do not have time for, but there was a huge shake-up with something that I've been working on, which is in the process of resolving itself, but that is neither here nor there, because today, instead of talking about our careers, we are going to be talking about Across the Rune Sea, the 12th episode of Droids. Uh, this was written by uh, sh- uh, the teleplay by Sherman Devono, uh, story by Ben Burt. Uh, this continues the story of Mongo Bayabab and the quest for the Rune Stones. Yeah, they're still on the planet trying to find the uh, the Rune Stones. So I, I believe Bayabab's original plan was by getting the stones he could start sort of a trading business with the the money from them well his fa- he's he's the the scion of the uh baobab merchant fleet which is this you know family of shipping magnates that have fallen on hard times so in short he's trying to save the family business and this is the first episode where we actually get to meet another member of his family which happens a bit unexpectedly but not as unexpectedly as you might think right we- and it it begins with with screed is Getting angry at Kuhn for not getting the runestones last time, and this is the standard, you know, kind of uh, Megatron and Starscream sort of relationship where the superior is giving one last chance to his clumsy subordinate. There's a part of me that just wants Admiral Screed to overthrow Governor Kuhn and take over this whole operation. Yeah, I think he'd be much more effective. And Governor Kuhn, because, uh, you know, as, as you know, y- yesterday they wasted time gambling at a racetrack and didn't actually get any runestones. Um, so uh, this episode begins where uh turns out Governor Kuhn has these uh, remote control probe droids uh, and they finally track down where Baobab is. And Baobab uh, is uh, <clears throat> Baobab uh, is at Auron and Nils Yam's, I guess, presumably ranch. Uh, where he's trying to repair uh, his ship, or, or nominally, 
uh, Governor Kung ship, the ship he stole from Governor Kung two episodes ago. He's trying to repair it. The droids are uh, repainting it. And we get some fun back and forth between R2-D2 and C-3PO, where, R- where C-3PO is trying to explain the sensitivities you have to have to be a true painter and artist. Uh, and I I like that they're letting C-3PO be more characterful, but also I said some pretty harsh things about the animation in last week's episode. Um the animation in this episode is top-notch. The character designs are much more consistent. Um, characters have the same number of fingers between scenes. Uh, they do a bit more with the uh, design work than the motion of the vehicles. I'm very, very happy with the way this episode looks. No, I think it's good. And, and the painting is a fun thing for the droids to do that's just them. It's not involved in the overall story. It's not something they're doing in the middle of a chase or while they're being attacked or while they're trying to rescue someone, as so often happens in the show. It's a just, it's a good, quiet character moment. The other thing is it kind of harkens back to the original conception of the characters, because if, if you watch like documentaries about the original Star Wars, there's this feeling that, that, that George Lucas has that's echoed by a number of other people, that when it comes down to it, um, like C-3PO is sort of like a fussy aunt, but R2-D2 is a sort of, an impetuous little kid. He's supposed to have this high energy little kidness about him. And we get that in this painting scene where C where R2D2 has drawn a stick figure of a human and a flower on the side of uh, the ship. It's really, it's really is very cute and endearing. So Baobab learns that they can uh, find out more about runestones from the hermit old auger. And when they find him, find him, he turns out to be Mongo's uh, great-uncle, Agam Baobab. Yeah, who, who I, disappeared on an exposition decades before, which explains why they had a map to the rune system in the Baobab archives. Yeah, um, there's a plot twist I wasn't expecting, and it, it's nice to ha- make uh, him have more personal stakes to the rune stones, other than just because... Yeah, just because he needs to, to, to find his family's fortune. And this is yeah. a, one of the fun... I love it when something is set up early and pays off later. Um, so the ship that they find old Augur or Uncle Ogham in is a uh, is an agricultural freighter in a Bantha graveyard. So we get some awesome alien bones uh, surrounding it. Um, but the ship has clearly crashed and is at an odd angle, and it. And it's great because when we see them exploring the interior of the ship, everything is tilted and we see the characters trying to hold their balance. Uh, we also see C-3PO wrestle with a spacesuit, the same kind of spacesuit that old Iron Pants used to wear. You always have to have a bit of physical business of C-3PO falling down somehow oh, in a oh, droids yeah. episode. I think that's a trademark. Yeah. But but we learn that Ogham found uh Aga may have found the source of all the rune stones and he has six bags of them uh and also a pack of supplies with the baobab merchant seal on it he hands it all over to mongo and sort of dies happy knowing that the, you know the family's fortunes may very well now be secure and i was i was not expecting a character death but it is but but it's but it's there uh we and the character is sort of in, is is just endearing enough that we we feel that death when he dies on screen. Yeah, you haven't seen that many character deaths, if at all, in the show to date. I don't uh, think we have. No, I mean, you, you certainly characters get attacked. They they might have to tussle with an alien creature or two, but um, otherwise they do they do okay. You know, just uh, 
just by themselves, um, you know, kind of surviving along. They get shot at, but, you know, it, it kind of has to do with standards and practice of the 80s cartoons. So um, for that to happen, I, I think, is a surprise. And yet I'm also reminded a little bit of a, a film that came out after this, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh. Because they make a big deal of the runestones, how important they are, and then at a point later in the episode, they have to give it up. Yeah, and that and that kind of echoes because like before uh, before uh, Uncle Ogham dies, that's his thing. You know, the, the, you know the, the riches are important, but the most important thing is is friends and family. And you know, you you think it's sort of cheesy last words, but that does come into play later. Um, but we get some setup because after they leave uh, the crashed freighter, they go through the pack of supplies, and there's a weird looking pistol, a uh, an a a an egg shaped material. Uh, what was it called? Like amorphicum or? Uh... It can be whatever you want it to be. Like it's like convenient. <laughs> Uh, it's like that unobtainium or whatever from Avatar. It's like yeah. it, it, it's it's so blatantly a plot device. Yeah, it's 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 this weird, it's this elemental material that you can shape into virtually anything, but then it always returns to its original egg shape. So you know you know what's going to be useful. Um, and the, and like the the pistol, I love that the pistol is useful, but not in the way you expect. And then there's also a pyramid. Um, that has uh, a different language, a message in a different language written on each side, and C-3PO can only translate one of them. So obviously this is the six million in first, six million in second, and six million in third form of communication, which is why he can't translate the other three sides. And it's this like little poem, and I, and I will say this, the, the poem, like it's, a, it's meant to be a cryptic poem about where the runestones come from, but clearly it's describing a glacier over a volcano. So why they're not immediately traveling to the planet's poles? Well, I guess they are because the next scene is them in a in a bar haggling with some with some merchants, presumably trying to secure passage to a different part of uh, the planet. Well, but it's Star Wars, so you have to have a bar fight. And <laughs> yeah. I, I I do like the creativity of of the the gun they're given from the sack from uh, Uncle Ogham. Yeah, because you, up... you think. It would shoot lasers, but it doesn't. No, it is. It is not, in fact, a weapon. Uh, it's it's a seed projector. It it shoots these fast growing seeds that are clearly meant to help you, like sort of build a farm really, really quickly by just shooting these seeds into the ground. So he shoots it at at, uh, at uh, Kung's henchmen, and they grow into vines that tangle up the henchmen and the stormtroopers, and that's how that's how. They almost escape, but unfortunately, they do get captured by Governor Kung, and our all our heroes are all chained uh, to a galleon that is going to sail across the Rune Sea. And so, I love how technologically lopsided Star Wars is. So, I love that there's this high tech galleon, but it's powered by people chained to oars. It, it's just they're trying to make a visual cue to something like Ben Hur. Oh yeah, or, and but but that you get this weird mishmash of uh, of genres and visuals is part of what makes Star Wars Star Wars. I mean, think about the 1950s style diner from a, a few episodes ago. Um, True. Think of I don't know the the cantina being a bar. Think 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 of the arena from Attack of the Clones. There's so many disparate things that somehow all work when they come together. 
And I something that's a very weird choice. And we get some neat sort of like other people chained uh, chained to this ship. Lots of neat character designs. A handful of them, you'll see familiar aliens that showed up in the Star Wars canteen in the original film. But there's one particular passenger on this ship, uh, an entertainment droid named Lin D, who describes himself as follows. Hi there, shipmate. I'm Lin D, an entertainment droid programmed for perpetual fun and happiness. And I can think of no worse droid to be chained up next to. The kind of jokes that he tells are the jokes you would get in those books you'd buy for a dollar or like a thousand fun summer camp jokes. And like they're the most obvious puns possible, but it doesn't help that Lindy's voice is really grating and annoying. Well, it's high pitched, but then it's also trying to do a borscht belt delivery. All I could think of, you ever you ever seen uh, the movie uh, Heartbeat starring Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters? I've only seen the trailer. Well, don't don't see it. But there's the the one weird bright spot is that there's a robot comedian in that movie called Catskill who kind of looks who kind of looks like uh, he's like a cross between appearance wise R two D two and Rodney Dangerfield, and he just tells Borscht Belt jokes. That's what I feel like Lindy is trying to channel. Although Lindy has this weird face, like it's it's a horrifying face. That clearly is meant to look endearing because it's got a big, broad smile on it. But he kind of looks like the Joker right before the Joker shows his teeth. Yeah, a bit. Something with the shape of the eyes and the large kind of nose. Don't really know what's going on there. But yeah, so any, you know, if you thought the action in droids was kind of milk toast before... Imagine it punctuated by terrible jokes every 10 seconds. It's... No, I don't want, and for, this is a prime example, I don't want to say Jabba the Hutt is fat, but when he sits around the planet, he literally sits around the planet, which it really should be, okay, here's some punch-up, Lindy. It should be sits around the palace, because that's where he lives. Yeah, um, it, it it's just, he's Lindy is only in this show for maybe like the last third of it and yet it feels like he's in the whole episode because he's so annoying he, and he doesn't he never, leave he never shuts up like he he tried you know, so you know like the, the perfect dyad of c-3po and r2d2 by the end of the episode it's a it's an imperfect lopsided triad of c-3po r2d2 and lindy so we're going to be getting more of him <laughs> and i think what it is is there's a real challenge where like you want to write comedy that's bad comedy but will also make you laugh that is really challenging and i know because i've had to write that um i feel like they didn't even try they just yeah they went with the lazy jokes right and so you uh you have action going on with the uh, baobab uh, wants to get the rune stones and yet there's uh him trying to get shot and you know there's yep. a storm that's coming so they got to redirect the ship yeah r2d2 um, who wasn't captured turns out he well we know he can swim he did it in the pirates of tornuga so he sneaks aboard the ship in the middle of the ocean disables security droids breaks everyone's chains there's a there's a uh the prisoners riot but then the sails of the ship uh are caught on fire and so uh mungo r2d2 c3po lindy and Orin. Uh, steal a life craft, but it turns out the uh, the rune sea, the storms create whirlpools, and they uh, and they start getting sucked into a whirlpool and have to lighten the load, and they throw out all the non essential equipment, and then Mungo 
uh, realizing they still need to lighten the load further, doesn't throw out Lindy. Uh, he throws overboard the six bags of runestones. And that's a moment that I think works. And it, as you mentioned earlier, it, it ties towards uh, Uncle Ogham's philosophy about family and friends being the most important thing of all. Uh, as well, you have... Um, it's neat that you see both how the heroes and the and the villains escape that big whirlpool because they do it in a different way. And, and you get some good wide shots of, of the ships being pulled in and trying to escape. And I love the designs of the boats. Like, they look both like boats, but also they look like they echo the design of, like, a classic Chinese junk. But then they also work as something from Star Wars. Right. It's Um, a real strong design. Um, And uh, they use that morphing egg to make a sail, and they, uh, you know, they ride out, they ride out the storm, uh, are... uh, you know the the villains are, are left to deal with the horrible weather. Uh, Mungo and his crew make it back to dry land. You know he reflects on how you know he got rid of the treasure, but they have their lives. They have each other. Um, there's some budding romance between him and Auron. I mean, they get really close to each other in these final scenes. Um, so Mungo decides he's going to try to find some place where he can translate the other messages on the pyramid, and they're going to make one last shot to find the source of the rune stones before he leaves the system. Um, and it ends with Lindy kind of getting in a group hug with R2-D2 and C-3PO talking about how they should all do an act together. And yeah, C-3PO's please. not having it. No, and I imagine neither is R2. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It is, it, you know, the end of this episode that it's so setting up what happens in the next episode, I, I think is pretty unusual. Although you have these story arcs and droids, each episode works mainly as uh, standalone. Well, it's very rare that they end one episode flat out stating what they're going to be doing the next episode. Exactly. You know, usually it just ends with them on the road. You just you know the adventure is going to continue, but you don't know how. As it turns out, you know, like next uh, next week's episode, we'll we'll be talking about the Frozen Citadel. Is the last episode of the series, save for the, uh, the made for TV animated movie, The Great Heap, which came out I think like a few months afterwards. Yeah, which which is going to be interesting to talk about because that was the fir- that's the first thing I I ever saw as far as droids goes. But we'll talk about that when we get there. I suspect right. that'll be an extra long episode. <laughs> well, it is an extra long, you know, it's like a double length episode. Uh, oh yes, as it is. So there you go. Yeah, so I mean, this episode is okay. I think it's kind of inconsequential, but you get the character moments with uh, with Agum and the sequence with the whirlpool. Uh, I would say as far as these things go, this is certainly better than last week's episode of the Rune Games was. What's well, what's well, another one of those things where it has everything that Star Wars does well. It has the anachronisms, it has the high adventure, it has uh, a, a little bit of moral philosophy uh, in there. And it, as much as Kung is proving to be a real ineffectual villain, I love seeing Kung's scheme and him being chewed out by Admiral Screed. Yeah, that's always fun to see, and I hope Screed gets some cool stuff to do in next week's episode, because he hasn't done a whole lot, except have a really good character design. Yeah, I mean, he, he was sort of, he did the most and was at his best in his in uh, in the beginning of this story arc, so I, I do hope he gets to go out with a bang, whether literal or figurative. Even just to have him behind the cockpit of a ship attacking them would be something. It doesn't have to be a face-to-face uh, face-off. All right, so um, we're going to do the Droid Eye for the Jedi segment. Indeed we are. 
Now, do you have a theory as to who's the secret Jedi Master here? I uh, mine, and I think it's somewhat obvious. Is Uncle Ogham is the secret Jedi? Hmm. His uh, he's been, you know, staying alive as a hermit, much like Obi Wan Kenobi did for several years, and he is kind of protecting where the rune stones are by he has kind of like cryptic clues and he doesn't he doesn't want that secret to get out and he and yet he has family that he doesn't really know of that um he eventually reunites with and he dispatches uh little bits of wisdom there about life and love and uh yeah so i i think it's Ogden. despite the fact that he doesn't uh disappear when he dies Although then again, we don't get any close-ups of him post-death, so maybe those are empty robes uh, hunched over the chair. He used his force powers to remain visible until they left the room. Then he, <laughs> then he disappeared. <laughs> then he called down some lightning to uh, get rid of his, his ship that he didn't need anymore. Yeah, he called down the lightning. He uh, he rode the thunder. Rode the thunder, and um, and vanished into the the ether. So I'm going to get atypical uh, with my with my fan theory. Um, I'm I'm going to agree with something you said earlier. I think R2D2 is in fact a secret Jedi Master. Um, okay. He's he's simply too resourceful, too many gadgets. But the thing that really brought me over to this way of thinking is that when uh, his friends get captured and he's hiding on the docks, he's hiding. He wraps himself in a brown robe. And when R2-D2 is wrapped in a brown robe, damned if he does not look like a Jedi. He pulls off that look so well, I got to give it to him. I think R2-D2 is, in fact, a secret Jedi Master. Well, that explains how he uh, has so many abilities compared to other droids. He always, he's like a Swiss Army knife, right? He has all the gadgets he can yep. do whenever he needs to. And a sensitive soul. We saw him paint. We saw him paint. We, we saw him dance. <laughs> we saw him watch a show with a cowboy R2 unit and a Native American R2 unit and an evil cowboy R2 unit. Uh, why that hasn't become its own show is beyond me. We we should we need to write a fan script of just that show. <laughs> but the dialogue would just be beeps with no subtitles. I think that's how you do it. Well, I guess we'd have beep, to describe beep. the action, or do some storyboards. Yeah. But I mean, it, I don't know. There's something very cute about that image. So, for my expanded universe, I decided to cover something that I'm surprised we haven't gotten to before, but since it doesn't have its own podcast, we might as well do it here. Uh, I watched a few episodes of the 1985 uh, Ewoks cartoon, which is a Star Wars animated oddity that may in fact be even more odd than droids. Uh, It lasted for two seasons, I believe the first of those seasons airing alongside droids in sort of like an hour-long Star Wars block. Um, But it has a lot of the same creative team. Paul Dini wrote a whole heap, a great heap of episodes of the Star Wars Ewok show. Nelvana once again did the animation. And it's... It's really interesting because it's it's much more of a fantasy series uh, in style and in tone. And despite Nelvana's love of uh, Jean Girard-influenced science fiction designs, they're really, really good at animating fantasy. Uh, it's just it's and even when they do animate something that's very specifically Star Wars, there's a lot more confidence in Ewoks rather than droids. Uh, so definitely, all their practice uh, is showing. And something else that really jumped out, it has a trait that is very similar to droids, wherein if a villain that 
the writers and animators clearly like is in frame. The villain is animated better than any of the other characters, which is if, if only because it gives us moments of, of, of just truly superior animation. I absolutely love it. But the two episodes I want to single out that I watched uh, first, I watched the first episode of season one, the cries of the trees, which pretty much serves as an introduction to the series. You know, all the characters and their traits are laid out. It's like a Fantastic Four comic. Within the first three minutes, you know all the characters and main characters' names and what their shtick is, and it sets up who the villains are going to be, who our heroes are going to be, and gives us some insight into how Ewok culture works. A surprising amount of insight into how like Ewok culture works. There's a whole thing about it covers both their rites of passage into adulthood, but also um, this this ceremony this where, where a tree is planted when an Ewok is born, and the, the growth of the Ewok and the growth of the tree is important to the spiritual, physical, and mental development of the Ewok child, which was kind of neat. Um, the story itself, uh, there's this alien uh, witch, we could assume Dark Force Powers, who, who lives... In, it turns out uh, the forest moon of Endor is ecologically diverse. She lives in these craggy peaks while the Ewoks live in a forest, so the planet's not 100% forest. We do see the 2% of the planet that's not forest in this episode. And the short of it is that she captures this firefly-type creature and puts a curse on it so that it throws off sparks. Uh, and since the Ewoks are undergoing a drought, she's going to burn down their forest. Uh, and... It's that that's the main that's the main struggle. The Ewoks have to use various strategies to keep the fires contained. Um, and two things that I like. Uh, one, you do learn how to put out a fire in this episode. When the first when the first tiny fire happens, it's a prelude to the giant forest fire. All the Ewok elders come in and like, no, no, you're only spreading the flames. Here's how you really put out a fire. And they smother the flames with soil, which I don't know if you've ever been camping that's the ideal way to put out a fire. You want to douse the flames in water. Uh, failing that, you want to throw dirt over the flames because that cuts off its source of oxygen. The other thing uh, that really stood out to me uh, in this episode, it has a – well, first it has it has a very awesome cast. Cree Summers uh, is in it playing uh, Kinesa, who is – I believe she's supposed to be the daughter of the main Ewok elder, and Cree Summers is always a treat. Uh, you know, back, this was right after she did Penny on Inspector Gadget, uh, but Frank, she she was Elmira on Tiny Toons. She she does voices in animation to this day, and she is fantastic. I mean, she, she I, I I she's a treat at everything, and and I had seen some of these episodes when I was a kid. So I'm I'm very happy that I've been a fan of Cree Summer for so long. So, oh, but the other thing that really jumped out, and so a big part of this show is that the 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 Ewoks, uh, particularly Wicket, who uh, you will remember from Return of the Jedi, you know they're they're kids. I think they're supposed to be like the analog would be they're supposed to be roughly in their early teens, maybe if we were to track their development uh, with the development of a human being. Um, but one and so you know they they want to be adults they want to be taken seriously but they still you know have a lot of uh, childish impulses and can often be very immature uh, in a lot of ways that drive the story but something that i really really liked is that some of the adults are just as immature as the kids are 
I mean, a big plot point in the episode is that uh, they have they essentially have a fun uncle who convinces them to ditch their chores and and play and play with him in the forest. And I I, I really like that. I like that not all the adults are scolds or sort of tut tutting elder figures. I love that they have impulses too, and that they can be immature and that they can be fallible, um, which frankly leads to much better storytelling. So that's the cries of the trees. Now, originally I was going to watch the final episode of the second season of Ewoks, uh, which is called Milani, the warrior. Um, but I decided not to at the last minute as I was scrolling through the episodes. Instead, I did episode 20 of season two, the third to last episode, Battle for the Sun Star, because this is the episode. This is the most Star Wars episode of Ewoks. And I dare say it out Star Wars's droids. The premise of this episode is that an Imperial Star Destroyer, an on model Imperial Star Destroyer, it is gorgeously rendered, comes out of hyperspace in orbit around the forest moon of Endor, Endor and an Imperial archaeologist uh, named Dr. Rygar is, has, he, he has some special mission that he's doing for the Emperor that requires him to go to the forest moon of Endor. Well, it turns out he's looking for the Sun Star, which is a magical artifact that Plays into a couple of episodes earlier in the season. I, I did see those. The Sunstar has its whole mythology. It's actually a combination of two different relics. One that like has all the powers of day and the other has all the powers of night. But anyway, uh, he's retrieving that. He's an archaeologist that's retrieving that for the Emperor. And the man looks evil. I mean, he looks like some sort of Sith Inquisitor in the way they draw him. I love the character design. But what's fascinating is everything in the Star Destroyer is so on model. The stormtroopers look just like stormtroopers down to the last detail. Um, Admiral Kaz, who is in command of the Star Destroyer, who, uh, interestingly enough, is voiced by Graham Campbell, the same guy who voiced Admiral Screed in Droids, to the point where I wonder if they wanted to use Admiral Screed at some point. But it's the same; it's the same exact voice. It's a great performance. Who's very he? But you know, Kaz is there. He's very skeptical of Rygar's mission, but it goes uh, it goes forward. Um, but it's full of all these Star Wars flourishes. You've got your Star Destroyers, you've got your Imperials, you've got a Doomsday weapon at one point powered by the uh, the uh, Star Stone or the Sun Star. It's a really it's a really neat story and it balances it balances the comedy and the action pretty well. It also might technically count as a crossover. Uh, because the Ewoks are are helped by a droid a droid uh, that was requisitioned by the Emperor named PD. Um the droid was not originally an Imperial droid, it was taken from its master and pressed into Imperial service. And there's a scene where after uh, after the Empire realizes that this droid has been helping the Ewoks, they send it to the ship's recycling center to be melted, to be stripped for parts and melted down. And the establishing shot for the Star Destroyer's recycling center is a conveyor belt. And on that, there's several droids on the conveyor belt go into this massive smashing machine that spits out cubes. Um, one of the droids is C-3PO. He doesn't talk, he doesn't move, so he's clearly seen better days. <laughs> but this would imply <laughs> that at some point after droids, the animated series, the Empire tried to scrap C-3PO. Now, interesting thing, if you're a, a Star Wars timeline buff... 
But uh, we we know Droids takes place at some point before Episode Four: A New Hope. Apparently, on the official timeline, the Ewoks TV series takes place after the Battle of Yavin. So, exactly how C three PO got in that position, we may never know. Uh, but who knows? Maybe we'll write some fan fiction about exactly that. I only wish we had seen uh, seen R two D two for a brief moment. Um, also, a delightful part of this episode is that the Ewoks, when the Ewoks uh, manage to sneak aboard the Star Destroyer to sneak around, they cover themselves in scrap metal and pretend to be droids. And there's just something I find endlessly hilarious about the Ewoks in their scrap metal suits kind of wobbling and doing this herky-jerky walk through the Star Destroyer going, beep, boop, beep, boop. And that that works. Uh, but we know stormtroopers aren't the, you know, the smartest people in the galaxy. Um but this episode has kind of an interesting climax because it turns out the Emperor is coming to uh, it's, it's coming to the Star Destroyer to uh, retrieve the Doctor and the Star Stone personally. Um, however, due to a fight between uh, Doctor Rhaegar and the Ewoks in the room where he's working on his Doomsday weapon, the Doomsday weapon misfires and wings the Emperor shuttle. Uh, so Rygar, he walks, get away with the sun, with the sun star. Rygar is arrested for high treason and is handed to the emperor to be tortured personally. Well, punished personally. Clearly he is going to be tortured probably unto death. And the last shot we see of Rygar is stormtroopers, uh, uh, manhandling him into the emperor's personal shuttle. And he's going, no, no, not that anything but that. And uh, I, I can imagine any number of horrible things that were awaiting him on board. But it's it's a nice... Uh, it was a really nice episode that has has everything that Star Wars is good at. Doomsday weapons, larger-than-life villains, uh, dashing heroes. I'm glad that I watched this episode instead of the final episode of the series, which I may go back and revisit. Um, when I decided to watch Ewoks... I didn't like this show as a kid. Uh, I remember it coming on and I remember watching a few episodes, not liking it and ditching it after like maybe three episodes. Um, although I also think at the time I didn't even know it was Star Wars related, although even if I had known that at the time, I'm not sure it would have helped. So I was I was prepared to be disappointed. I was not. It's a much softer, gentler show than droids, but it's not a bad show. Like if if I uh, you know if I have kids of my own and I wanted to show them some old some old Star Wars animation, I may very well start with Ewoks. Uh, things tend to be a lot more low stakes. The uh, it's a it's a much broader ensemble cast. There's a bit more stability because it's uh, because just about everything is set in and around the Ewok village, so they're not just you know changing who the characters are every few episodes as 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 wicked attaches himself to a new human. Um, and also, if you like a lot of the Star Wars lore, they do put in references to the broader Star Wars universe. Um, other Star Wars aliens show up on Endor. There's an, there's a, there's an, an elephant head. Uh, the Yuzums uh, are significant antagonists. Uh, over, like, overall, it was, it was a really worthy endeavor. Uh, and chances are I am going to watch a few more episodes, whether or not I use them on a future expanded universe. So I, I'm going to give my endorsement to Star to the Ewoks cartoon. Uh, it's pretty much all available on YouTube, so it's not hard to find anymore. Uh, it used to be very hard to find. Um, I think there also was a DVD release, uh, although that would have been in the early 2000s. I have no idea how accessible it is now, but it's worth checking out. It is absolutely worth checking out, uh, and it does it does make me wish. 
wish we could have gotten a third Star Wars series done by Nelvana in the like a little later in the eighties. Maybe with you know Paul, get Paul Dini back. Maybe maybe make it more original. Maybe just make it about original characters in the Star Wars universe. Um, and I think if if nothing else, our experience with. Uh, in trouble again has has taught me once again that it's very fun to imagine what could have been, uh, but still very important to appreciate what actually was. So this is my entry for uh, this week's expanded universe. Thank you very much. So next week we'll be talking about the Frozen Citadel episode of Star Wars Droids uh, for In Trouble Again. This is Matt. <laughs> this is Thrasher. Saying. It takes a delicate turn of the wrist and a sensitive soul to be a true artist. Mm-hmm.